out there, we're on the air, it's hockey night tonight. Tension grows, the whistle blows, and the puck goes down the ice. The goalie jumps and the players bump and the fans all go insane. Someone roars, Bobby scores at the good old hockey game. Oh, the good old hockey game. It's Stamkos. Steven Stamkos put it right out in front for a tip by Kucherov. That was denied by Shesterkin. The puck was there for a moment for Palat. He couldn't put it in. He puts it right on the stick of Kucherov again. And he scores! All right, welcome to Vegas Hockey Hotline. I'm Dana Lane. Steve Carp was supposed to be here. My, my man came in this morning not feeling well. And so I said, the first thing I said to him was, why did you come in? I mean, I appreciate you trying to play hurt. He clearly, clearly has an upper body injury. And so he, uh, he, decided, he decided it was time to go home. And I appreciate him coming in to try to do the show, but... Hey, Chris, this is for you, too. I mean, it's like, if you don't feel well, you, you let me know. I don't need you playing hurt on this. But anyway, we appreciate you listening to the show. And we were we're dealing with it, especially in the, in the first hour, we're dealing with other things going on while we're trying to do the interview. But, uh, we're, of course, we're coming from the Brian Blessing Studio in Las Vegas, brought to you by Station Casinos and the STN app. Tampa Bay Rangers, guys, the, the the gap between these two teams continues to get bigger in my mind. We touched on it in the first, first half of the show, especially down the middle for the Rangers now. Tampa is starting to impose their will. And I, I felt that way, Chris, I felt that way in game three. Yeah. I felt that way when the Rangers were up 3-1. Or I'm sorry, yeah, three one, two nothing in the series, and then Tampa made it two one, and I started to think, oh, here it comes. Yeah, I and, mean, and and is there answers? Does Gerard Gallant have answers for a team that's able to roll out four lines, not and a team that will not their pedigree will not allow them to get too high or too low, and I I just feel, I feel like even at two to two. Rangers' backs are up against the wall right now. Let's uh, bring in our first guest. He was a former referee that, <laughs> from 95 to 2021, 1,343 regular season games, including 90 Stanley Cup playoff games, in addition to working the 2014 Olympic Games. Uh, that's as good as it gets when you're talking about resume. Let's bring in former referee Tim Peel. And, Tim, we appreciate you joining us. And as I was going through uh, some of the, the background or your background, I was thinking to myself, we, we know the difference between the regular season and the NHL and the intensity of the postseason. But take me back to that Olympic Games. I mean, what is the intensity level, you know, say, between a playoff in the NHL and the Olympic Games? It, it's, I assume it's different. But intensity-wise, it's still got to be there or, or pretty close to each other. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It, 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 there is a bit of a difference. I, the Olympics were a different bit of uh, pressure because unlike the playoffs, you have a best of seven. 
a team can lose and still go on. We're in the Olympics. I, I was fortunate enough I was chosen to do the bronze medal game between the USA and Finland. And I had awarded two penalty shots to the United States in the first period. And, and Timu Solani uh, came over to me. He was the captain of Finland and obviously a well-decorated NHL player and, and, uh, and uh, European player. And he was losing his mind and because this was going to be the last Olympics as he, that he was playing in. And if it wasn't for the Olympics, I probably would have given him an unsportsmanlike penalty or maybe thrown him out of the game. But I knew the magnitude of that game, and I just had to eat it and take it. And Finland came on to win. And funny story, after the, after the game, later on that evening, Finland showed up at the hotel that we were staying at, and him and I sat down and drank until all hours and laughed about, uh, laughed about how a few, were, a few hours earlier he wanted to rip my head off. But the playoffs, are, they're, it's, it is intense. It's really hard to describe. You have players that haven't thrown a hit for 82 games that are finishing their checks. We see the scrums. We see the intensity. And uh, I, 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 you got to give credit to these uh, athletes because it's amazing how they can pick up the pace from the regular season to the playoffs and bring it to another level. Yeah, and we talked to Dave Jackson quite a bit. He's he, a good friend of the show, and I asked him about, you know, I mean, you know, the old – everybody seems to think that the referees put away their whistles in the postseason. That statistically has been proven inaccurate. But is, is there something in the back of your mind, like you just, you know, said us uh, – told us a story about Solani and then your decisions not to uh, not to give him a penalty because of the magnitude of the situation I mean those those sort of things go through your mind and it and do you is it a situation where you trust your filter enough where you say hey I'm I'm going to maybe call this a little bit differently because of the situation I'm in. Not not to the point where it's a detriment to the game or you just refuse sure. to make a call, but it's just because you understand the magnitude of where you are at the time. Yeah, no, that's a great question. And you're right, uh, the stats do disprove that notion that the referees put away the the. Uh, the whistle during the playoffs and, and Dave actually tweeted it out and I copied him on it is the stats actually uh, show, show otherwise that the referees actually call more penalties in the playoffs and some of that's skewed because we have overtimes and so on but the big thing is Dana in the playoffs is and it's the same in the regular season but it is ratcheted up a thousand percent is when you call a penalty in the playoffs you better make sure that all twenty, all forty players see it. The coaches see it. The fans see it, because the worst thing is to call a penalty, and everyone's looking around, going, well, "What's that for?" And it's a, it's a really a one minute penalty. It's kind of a soft call, and then that team gets scored upon on the on the the, the power play, and they may subsequently lose from a weak call that you made. So you made so in the playoffs, you really just. You, you try to call good NHL penalties. And, and that sounds like, well, that's the way it should be, but it's not so easy because penalties are really, you know, it's easy for us to watch the replay, but it really boils down to the good sight lines that the officials have on the ice. When things changed and you were able to go to video review, was there – were the referees in general, were they in favor of the officials in general? Were they in favor of that happening just because there's a little bit of a monkey off your back that's been taken and, you know, you got you want to always get the call right. But I would assume you thought, hey, you know, 
at first, maybe it's, oh, you don't think we're good enough to be able to do this job and we need video review. But then I guess maybe it evolved into, well, this is great because no matter what happens in most situations, we're going to be able to get the call right and not be so ridiculed for what we do on the ice. A thousand percent. You're absolutely right. Because there would be nothing worse than we would make a call. We would miss a goalie interference back when it wasn't challengeable. It would result in the game-winning goal. We'd leave the building. We'd have that pit in our stomach for a few days. People right. just think we go back to the, the hotel and have a few beers and go on to our next game and forget about it. That's not the case at all. And so when that came in, at first you were like, geez, I should have had that in real time. You know, it would bother you because they would overturn it. And you'd be like, man, i got to be better than that. But then you're right, over time, you're like, you know what, I really have this because at the end of the day, what they're not talking about a missed goalie interference call and putting all the blame on the referees the next day. Yeah, and I don't want to get into this too far, but, you know, one of the reasons why you even came on my radar is, you know, somebody we'd really like to have on the show is, you know, during the whole offsides controversy last week, and honestly, I mean, obviously, you know, you've had, you know, your your run of, you know, people saying things on social media about certain things that's happened in your career, but the bottom line was I couldn't believe the backlash that you received for knowing the absolute the, the rule on the offsides that nobody else knew at the time, including myself. And I just thought to myself, wow, if he's getting this, well, what, what does Nazem Kadri get on a daily basis? Or what do these players get uh, on a nightly basis uh, that we don't even talk about? Everything's so magnified because it's in the postseason. But, I mean, how do you overcome that? Because as we found out in the end, you were absolutely right. Dave Jackson was right. But you were the guys who knew the rule, and Twitter didn't. Yeah, it's. Uh, I guess it's, you know, where the, where the, all the messages from – the Colorado, uh, or, or I'm sorry, the Edmonton fan base. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know because at the end of the day, you're going to make 50% of the ha- people happy, and the other 50% are going to be unhappy with the call. But it is, it's, uh, you know, and I'm, and I'm glad you brought it up. And I don't know whether you're going to, and, and I'd certainly like to talk about it. But your, your point about social media. Uh, the abuse that people take. And before I went on social media, I wasn't allowed to go on until my career was over. And when I went on, and I continue to still get the comments, you know, your profile says retired, it should, you should change it to fired, you're a yeah. clown, you're a loser, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And I would, te- I would send a message back and go, thank you very much, have a nice day. Because I didn't want to fall into that sewage and that, that sewer of social media where people just say vile stuff on it. And then sure enough, what happened to me last week, I fell into it, and I hate myself for it. It's unacceptable. Uh, Nazem Kadri, him and I had a great relationship when, when I officiated him. And I had a reporter call me yesterday, and you guys are the first interview I've done, and I said, you know, I'm not doing it. I'll go off the record. And I said, you could probably go through all the games that I did uh, with with when he was a player in Toronto and Colorado, and you may be able to count penalties on one hand. You know, I I just can't I, I can't ever remember. You know, we just had we always had a good relationship. But what happened is living in St. Louis, being a fan, 
for 21 years here. Uh, my my young kids are eight and ten. They're obviously big Blues fans. I see what sports does for this city. Uh, we see it in baseball with the Cardinals, and we see what it did with the Blues, and how good it is for the city and the people. And my friendship with some of the people on management and some of the players, and with him. Uh, with the incident with Falk last year and then Bennington this year, I let the, my emotions get the best of me, and, and it was the wrong thing to do, and, and I apologize for it. And, and uh, you know, I'm still continuing to get messages, but that, that's on me. I'm the one that made the mistake. I'm the one that said it. And it's, it's ironic because when I got on here, I, you know, I would post things about charity work that I do and pictures of yes. my kids and all kinds of fun stuff. And then I fell into that sewer, and I hate myself for it. And it's a hard lesson to learn, but... It's something that we we all learn through social media. Yeah, and just to give everybody clarity that you brought it up, uh, you know, when Nazem Kadri uh, was knocked out, presumably for the rest of the postseason, we'll see. I mean, you put on Twitter, you said karma. and But the flip side to that is, Tim, Nazem Kadri in some ways has really been able to repair his image because I think sure. some people forget how many times he has been involved in dirty plays that have led to injuries, and you brought up Justin Falk. You could bring up Jake DeBrusque. I mean, this was not a guy that people talked about in a way like, you know, he would be in the same conversation every time you would bring up a, a Tom Wilson or a Brad Marchand, and I'm not sure right. if that's fair to, to Marchand right. quite in that yeah, yeah. way, but you get what I'm saying. I mean, I do. the emotion there, I, I listen, I'm a guy to – puts his you know his emotions on his sleeve and nine times out of ten I, I'm pretty happy with what I said I, I stand by with what I, what I said but there had to be something that you said hey look I, I've been around these guys and, and there is something mm-hmm. internally where you had to say to him man I, I don't really like this guy or I you know, don't like what he's yeah, done and- to guys that I do like so maybe that yeah. was where the reaction came from it, it, it was for sure and and you know, I do a radio show here in St. Louis with Jamal Mayer, mm-hmm. the ex-player, and Andy Strickland. And, and I read the definition of karma yesterday. And karma isn't – I get why people – karma is, doesn't mean you hope something bad happens to somebody. Karma, the definition is if you do something you know, over and over again, chances are it will come back onto you. And instantly people thought that I won – we wanted him to get hurt, and that is the last thing. That's disgusting, and and I don't know anybody that that likes that has you know first of all refereed, but you know is a big fan that wants to see somebody intentionally get hurt. So that wasn't that wasn't at all what I meant, and uh, you know it's uh, the world we're living in, and I know I get your point too, Dina. He has brought a lot of this on himself, and and uh, he's got to be accountable for that. And he's obviously, I think he's trying to make the changes uh, to help repair that part of his, uh, his, his image. Did you, are you guilty in any way uh, of trying to be a player's referee in the way of, hey, I, I, I want to be, and I'm trying to, I'm struggling for the word, and I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, the end of your career, and sometimes you, you know, things fly out of your mouth. I don't know where you're originally from, but I know being from New York myself, things fly out of my mouth that I, I don't yeah. really mean internally, but, 
you know, I just, I don't know, they, they seep out somehow and I got to figure out how to overcome them. It is Was that the case at the end with, with you? I mean, you, you went through, yeah. I mean, how many years? I mean, 26 years as an F, 27 refer, years as a referee. I mean, you've done a lot of good <laughs> I, things. I hope I, you have allowed yourself to, to know that. Yeah, I appreciate that, and, and it's it's kind of it's funny the way you put it because it you know I was that happened on March 23rd and I was retiring April 24th, right, so right, exactly right, four weeks later. So so I didn't go into that game going, you know what? I think I'm going to blow everything up with four weeks to go in my <laughs> career. You know, let's have career suicide here at the end. And what's ironic is, and, and I've told the story many times, but that afternoon, Pete Rogers, the longtime equipment manager for the Nashville Predators, him and I had become good friends from our days in the minor leagues and so i that afternoon i went out and bought him a nice bottle of camus wine i took it down to the dressing room beforehand and the assistant coach of of uh nashville todd richards is sitting there and and you know we sat and talked for 40 minutes about kids and horses and minor hockey and everything and so i didn't walk out of that dressing room going you know what i'm really going to get national tonight so when i made the call i was working with a veteran referee in kelly sutherland We'll probably work the finals again this year, and and I'd come up. Uh, we'd work the Olympics together. I'd come up through through the minor leagues together, and respected very much. And uh, when I went over there, because I'd called the penalty in front of him, he was like ten feet away from it. And I came over, and I'm like, because I knew I had made the wrong call. I thought Arvidsson had kicked his feet out, but then mm-hmm. I saw the replay on the yep. jumbotron on my head, and it was more my defense mechanism. And I was embarrassed, and I said, "Yeah, Sudzy, it wasn't much, but and but." It wasn't that I was out there. We called two penalties against Nashville the entire game, and that was one of them. So, in essence, we called one good penalty against Nashville the entire game, and Nashville won the game. And as soon as I found out about it, I I immediately showered, went down to the Nashville uh, dressing room, spoke to John Hines, the head coach, and David Poyle, the GM, who I respected a lot, and said, guys, yeah, I've reffed, you know, David Poyle, I've had... You know, he's had me since he's been in the league a lot longer. And you don't survive for that long if you have a reputation of wanting to get somebody or do something. And, you know, I took pride in the fact that I worked playoffs every year and was considered one of their guys. And, and so it was just a, it was my verbiage just came out wrong. And, yeah. and you know, 10 years ago, um, would would the result have been the same? Probably not. But I think it was it was. You know, and I still have a great relationship with Bill Daly and Gary Bettman, and I've talked to Bill a few times this summer. And, and you know, with bringing on gambling partners and so on, I think it was like, hey, you know, this isn't how our, our officials officiate, and with me having four weeks to go, they'd never hurt me financially. I got my pension. They not they continued to pay me. The league was phenomenal to me. They, they you know, do I wish – it could have been dealt with differently. Of course I do, but I understand. And, and a lot of guys leave our business better, whether they didn't get one more final, whether they didn't get a, another playoff game or one more year at the end. And, and even though the way that my, my thing ended, I said to, you know, everybody, my, my most importantly, my family, I said, I'm not going to leave this business better. I said, I'm not going to let it literally a two second audio clip define who I am. Yeah. And we're talking to uh, Tim Peel, Former NHL referee from 95 to 2001, 13, over 1,300 games under his belt. And, and that's interesting you would bring that up, Tim, because, you know, my next question was just that is, 
you had to think when you explained this to me, when you sat down with Daly or Batman or whoever it was that you sat down with and they made this decision about your future, there had to be a point where you said to yourself, well, really, we got to handle it like this because the only reason you're handling it this way is so you can win public perception, the public perception battle. Can we not handle it? I'm so close to being retired. Can we not do this thing another way where it comes out you're the good guy, you're the good guy, and I'm the bad guy? No, you know what? Uh, that was obviously the game was in Nashville, and I was told to go home that night, the next morning, and I was at the airport at seven thirty in the morning. And Stephen Walkham, the vice president, director of officiating, called me. He said, "I got some news, and uh, you've worked your last game in the National Hockey League." I said, "Okay, thank you very much. I've got to get on a flight." And, and that the call was ended. I, I knew the decision was made, Dana. Uh, there was no uh, groveling. Don't do it. Uh, get, you know, suspend. I, that was the exact, our conversation was ten seconds long. I, I knew the decision that had been made, and uh, so I, I I flew home and and. Uh, you know, obviously, social media was 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 on fire that day, and my wife's obviously extremely upset. And and what was ironic is there was a player. I was on my way home from the airport, and there was a player by the name of David Clarkson. He played in the NHL for quite a long time, and mm-hmm. most notably with uh, Toronto and New Jersey. And he didn't like referees very much. And and you know, we we just we had a lot of. Uh, we had a lot of run-ins throughout our career, and so I so I answered the phone. It was a Columbus number, and and he goes, "Hey Tim, it's David Clarkson." And for a split second, I thought he was going to say, "Hey, it looks good on you," and he said, "I just want to let you know, I'm, I just got off the ice and retired here in Denver now, and I was playing with some ex-NHL guys, and we were just talking about." how things were handled and what a travesty we think it is and he said i just wanted you to know he says uh whenever you refereed our games i always knew i had one of the best refs one of the fairest refs and i just wanted you to know that so it meant a lot because i it was easy for your friends to call and your colleagues and and so on but when you know from you know wayne gretzky to brian burke to a lot of gms coaches ex-players current players when they reached out it 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 didn't make it any easier but it certainly helped to let for me to know that at least i was respected in the league yeah because honestly didn't it just come down to i mean that comment probably was not how you wanted to label the situation you were in but didn't it just come down to you wanting to be the best that you could possibly be and be as fair to everybody as you could be. But and yeah. you, didn't, you didn't have to come out the way it did. But it was really just a matter of that, wasn't it? Yeah, for sure. You know, I certainly in, in down the last couple months of the season, you know, player would yell, I'd kind of just skate away. and Or if they keep yelling, I'd come over to the bench and say, hey, man, I, I've got six weeks left. I said, you can fill your poops, but you're not, getting any, you're not getting any pushback from me. Like, I just wanted to slide out. It's so ironic because I just wanted to finish my career keeping everybody happy, the coaches, players, and, and then it obviously uh, didn't happen that way. Does it feel good to talk about? Does it feel good to, you know, just kind of, yeah. It does. I'm a a closet psychologist, Tim, so I'm trying to, you know, I I I want you to leave here on a a good note. No, no, I love it. And (laughs) and this part, this part I've talked about so many times that that it's not therapeutic anymore. I'm used to it, but, but I'm glad that you did call because the, the cadre thing really did bother me because, because, you know, we've all 
not we've all, I can only speak for myself, but a lot of people put something out there on social media and then they're like, ah, geez, I shouldn't have done that. And, and like I mentioned earlier, I didn't want to fall into that. And, and that's what I did. And I certainly have no ill will towards them or, or the, you know, they've got a tremendous team and I've been friends with a couple of their coaches for years. And it's, uh, you know, like everything, uh, I think it was, uh, Mike Dick uh, said once, he goes, everything will pass, and, and this is just another thing that will pass in time. Yeah, especially in a new cycle in 2022. It, right. Would you, is it easier to accept, and the last question on this, but it, sure. is it easy to accept after being in the league as long as you were? Would you have accepted it the way you do now, say, if you had been in the league for two years? With my incident? Yes. Um probably because I wouldn't have had any juice in the game. You know, two years in, like I remember when I got hired, it was like, geez, I hope I can survive like five or six years. And mm-hmm. and because, uh, you know, some guys didn't survive. Some guys, a lot of the public doesn't know. They they always ask, they always say, where's the accountability with refs? Well I, well, I was a ref on the ice. There were a lot of guys fired, but it's just not really big news in the NHL doesn't make it very public but I, there were a lot of guys that I worked with over the years and certainly early on my career that they just they didn't survive and they were released and for whatever reason and usually it was performance on the ice and so early in my career I would I would have it would have devastated me probably but I I would know that there I really didn't have any uh, juice in the game that that uh, might save my job and uh I had lots of juice in the game now, but it was different because I had four weeks to go. So, And I don't want to let you go without talking about your terrific referee camp. You have, as you mentioned, uh, the, your hot mic show on 590 The Fan in St. Louis. I mean, talk about those things because really, you know, this is the next step in, in your career and you really want to start building these things. Yeah, this is uh, – thanks for bringing that up. Uh, with uh, with Strickland and, and uh, Jamal Mayers, you know, we do a radio show here in St. Louis, and we thought we'd make fun of it and call it hot. That's Mike. a terrific and, name. And, yeah, terrific. what the heck, right? You know, you got to embrace, you, <laughs> embrace you, it. I, embrace it. I always said to my wife, I said, everything happens for a reason, good or bad. And, and the day it happened, you know, I had many calls, and Roenick and Quenville and a few other people said to me, they go, Peelzy, like, you were well-known before, but whether you like it or not, you know, you're well known now. So everything happens for a reason. And I always said to my wife, I said, I, you know, I grew up in a trailer park. I was left in an orphanage. I said, I said, you know, my, my background, I said, uh, you know, I, my whole life has been about perseverance and resiliency. And I said, I have an example to set for my kids. And I said, I said this, I've had the referee camp for three years and last year was, you know, it was in June, just a couple months after my incident, and they kids kids wanted to hear the story, and I told them the story, and and I said to them, I said, life's pretty good right now. You know, they're fourteen to twenty-one. I said, you got a mom and dad probably bought you a car. You're in high school. You got a girlfriend or boyfriend, and and life's good. I said, but guess what? You're gonna get kicked in the in the gut a lot throughout your life. <laughs> and I said, it's how you come out on the other side and how you deal with it. And I had a mom come up to me the last day of the camp, and she's like. I wish your camp was longer. And I go, why? And she goes, my son just loves the messages you're trying to, to. And that's what bothers me about the tweet that I sent out because I'm the type of dad and, and person that, you know, my kids go to school and I tell Bronson and Brielle, 
that are nine and or ten and eight, I go, hey, if there's a kid on the playground and he's, you know, he or she's, you know, bullied or they're they're left behind because nobody wants to play with them, I said, you be that kid that that goes over and makes their day better. And uh, so that's how I try to live, live my life, and I slip up every once in a while and. And uh, but no, the referee camp's fun, and all the money that we raise, none of us get paid. All the money that we raise, we it goes into a foundation here in St. Louis, in which uh, this summer we'll sit down. I'm on the board, and we'll sit down and we'll award scholarships to young officials in the area who are pursuing their post-secondary education. So, trying to improve officiating in St. Louis, and and but we had students from Canada, Connecticut, Alaska, uh, Alabama, come into the camp. So. We're trying to do some good things here in St. Louis. Well, Tim, if it makes you feel any better, I and and uh, Chris here can you know attest to this. I mean, I have slipped up at least four to five times uh, over over my lifetime, so I'm right in the same boat with you. Okay, well, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. It's <laughs> hey, how you come out. It's how you come out on the that's other right. side, right? That's it's, all the people remember. It's also when it comes down to it. No matter how many hardships you go through in your life, the people under your roof. And the people that came from your roof, as long as they're in your corner, nothing else really matters ultimately. You you hit the nail on the head. You 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 try to keep your family and friends happy, but other than that, you can't you can't control everybody else. I agree with you 100 percent on that. So, well, Tim, you're automatically one of my favorite interviews. We're going to lean on you in the future if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely, I, really, guys. I, I really appreciate it. I really appreciate you having me on. Anytime. Uh, there he goes, Tim Peel. Former NHL referee, fantastic uh, discussion. I knew it was going to be, and we always we appreciate his time. He was amazing. Yeah, he is. He's amazing. I, I knew he was going to be. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Jamison Coyle from the NHL Network will join us. STN Sports is the only sports betting app you need this season. STN Sports has it all. In-play betting, mobile parlay cards, the Play Plus card to fund and withdraw from anywhere in Nevada, and up to a $100 new sign-up bonus. STN Sports even lets you earn rewards for every bet. Safe and easy betting from your phone or tablet. Go to stationcasinosports.com or sign up at any station casino or wildfire. Complete details available at all sportsbooks. Oasis Bar and Grill at 4955 South Decatur near the corner of Trop has been totally renovated. It features incredible food with a kitchen that's open 24-7. Gaming promotions every month. There are cashback drawings for loyal players. The banquet room is spacious and a great venue for any type of function. Sports fans won't miss any of the action with HDTVs throughout the property. Oasis is a great place to meet and make new friends. The staff is fun and engaging. Get in on the fun with great food, great drink, and gaming promotions at Oasis Bar and Grill, 4955 South Dakota. Experience the thrill of the grill. John Smith Subs is home of the famous Steak Bomb and other premium deli subs with grilled-to-order marinated sirloin steak, grilled chicken, farm-fresh veggies, and delicious bread baked daily. Our subs are making a name for themselves with quality and flavor. Add an order of piping hot french fries and you have a meal you can't get anyplace else. Experience the thrill of the grill at John Smith Subs. Visit johnsmithsubs.com to find a location near you. 
Hey, Golden Knights fans, I'm attorney Adam Kuttner. I'm proud to be an official partner of the Vegas Golden Knights. We're giving you the chance to play at home along with the Golden Knights to win home game tickets through our power play giveaway. Each time the Golden Knights are on a power play, we'll pick one of my Twitter followers who tags me on Twitter with the hashtag Adam Kuttner power play. And when the Golden Knights score, that lucky fan wins tickets to the Fortress. So make sure to follow me on Twitter. Go Knights, go! Calling all Vegas Golden Knights super fans for the Terribles game day giveaway. During all of Vegas Golden Knights home games, visit any participating Terribles location, make a qualifying purchase, get a scratch card, enter on the Terribles app, and you could win a $1,000 Golden Knights shopping spree. Best yet, one lucky customer will win this prize every day the Vegas Golden Knights have a home game. Terribles game day giveaway. It's only at Terribles. Visit Terribles.com for more details. Oasis Bar and Grill at 4955 South Decatur near the corner of Trop has been totally renovated. It features incredible food with a kitchen that's open 24-7. Gaming promotions every month. There are cashback drawings for loyal players. The banquet room is spacious and a great venue for any type of function. Sports fans won't miss any of the action with HDTVs throughout the property. Oasis is a great place to meet and make new friends. The staff is fun and engaging. Get in on the fun with great food, great drink, and gaming promotions at Oasis Bar and Grill, 4955 South Decatur. STN Sports is the only sports betting app you need this season. STN Sports has it all. In-play betting, mobile parlay cards, the Play Plus card to fund and withdraw from anywhere in Nevada, and up to a $100 new sign-up bonus. STN Sports even lets you earn rewards for every bet. Safe and easy betting from your phone or tablet. Go to stationcasinosports.com or sign up at any station casino or wildfire. Complete details available at all sportsbooks. I fell for your magic. I tasted your skin. And though this is tragic. All right, welcome back to Vegas Hockey Hotline, powered by Station Casinos and the STN app from the Brian Blessing Studio. I'm Dana Lane. Steve Carp left at halftime. Wasn't feeling great. We appreciate you. Him Had a flu in. game. Had a flu game. Chris Johnson behind the, the turntable. What do we, Chris, it always seems like you save the best for the last segment. So what are we listening to right now? We are listening to Joji, and the song name is Run. It's such a good song. There's a there's a guitar solo in this. Yeah. If you have not listened to it, I really recommend listening to this song. It's a like, it's kind of like um man, I'm, getting, I'm I can't remember his name right now. Prince. It's like Prince. It's like a Prince song. I can like a, I can hear with like, that. With like, with like, a, with like a guitar, yeah. like, a, like a heavy rock guitar solo in the middle of it, and it's so so good. That whole album by him is so good. And of course, Prince was a fantastic oh, guitar yeah. player. You know what? This guy though, I think he's gonna be. He's dropping a new single this Friday. His album was amazing. Last one of my favorite albums of all time. He might be making a real hard push for one of the best artists of this generation. I love, I mean, our musical taste. And, of course, everybody knows I'm, you know. Yeah. Let me know when the next Dio song starts. <laughs> but I love this side because I, I really, I like what you choose a lot of time, And it's it fits for this time of day. And I don't know. Good job, Chris. Relaxing time. Okay, let's open up the Velvet Rope. For the return of Jamison Coyle, who does a terrific job as host on the NHL Network. And Jamison, I guarantee we will not have a heckler in the background as we're doing this interview as you did last night with Billy Jaffe. 
How good was that, right? Oh, my God, fantastic. First of all, th- thanks for having me back on. I mean, hey, we, we battle through adversity this time of year, and we talk about it with the players, but the media kind of deals with it as well. But, yeah, I had to, I had to ask him about that because that's all I could hear in my earpiece yes. was this guy just screaming at Jaffe as he's trying to answer just a couple of quick questions about game four. And what was great about that interview is, and I watched it back, and I'm like, okay, Billy, because Billy's been on the show. He's a friend of the show. He's been on her forever and i i'm like okay billy are you losing eye contact with the camera right now i mean if you lose eye contact and he never to my knowledge never lost eye contact and i said that is a professional because i would have been looking all around the arena like you know <laughs> i would have been like barkley going into the chasing this guy around the arena but true professional billy jaffe yeah, no, and the funny thing is, so after the show, you know, talking with the producers and some of the researchers, they get to see that camera, that live feed, right. before we take them and after. And, uh, yeah, Billy Billy gave it back to the guy. Let's put it that way. You know, he let him know um, that he usually likes going down to Tampa, and he wasn't thrilled with the uh, the gentleman who was screaming at him for a couple of minutes straight there at the top of his lungs. So Billy said, you know, hey, bring it on, bud, and uh, I'll take your best shot, and he did. And he powered through it. So he's a true pro. Wait a minute. Okay, so this was before the interview. And you got to see this. Go out, go on social media and see the interview. <laughs> this was before the interview? Like this yeah, was oh already God. a pre-thing a pre thing going on and this guy was right. three sections so away a, screaming? <laughs> right. So we do a live interview with Billy for the postgame show. But right. then, you know, his obligations are to tape a couple of different hits that are going to run today as they hop on the plane and kind of travel north back to New York. So I guess, yeah, this this gentleman, this passionate fan was was giving him the business during those tapings, <laughs> during the live shot. I mean, he was just – and I wanted to know how – because, you know, this was probably – a uh, half hour, 45 minutes post-game. Why was this guy still in the arena That's at that exactly point? exactly you know? what I thought. Like, yeah, so usually they get him out pretty quickly, and especially somebody as rowdy as he was. So this guy might have slipped through the cracks, but he, he was giving <laughs> Billy the business for sure. Well, hard to slip through the cracks when, when I'm, and in my mind, he's only wearing uh, a styrofoam uh, lightning bolt. And that's, a, you know, that's, that's the sort of guy that sits there and looks at Billy Jaffe and said, that is going to be my target for the next 10 right. minutes. <laughs> hey, I, give us, and I, I love to ask these broadcasting questions and we'll get into the, the series here in a second, but how great. And I know you've worked with him, you know, many times. I mean, how great is Kevin Weeks? And every time I see him and I see you and a few other guys on a network, I just think to myself, the sky is the limit for this man because there's very few people. And I'm sure you're you're in the same boat when you're listening, you know, to, to guys maybe on other networks where you kind of tune out a little bit because it's it's going to be the same fluff. But this is always a guy when words start pouring out of his mouth that I make a point to listen to what he says. Yeah, no, you're you're spot on with that. He's so dynamic, and you know it's been such a thrill to to not only get to be a colleague of his, but also to become a friend of his. And uh, and he's exactly who he is off camera as he is on camera. He's just like he's got that it factor. Yes, he does. Um, he raises. He, I, I equate him to one of those, you know, top centermen in the NHL that just when they're on your line, they make everybody better. And his expectations for everybody are, are very high as well. So you have to bring your A game to work alongside Weeksy and whatnot. But he kind of he brings the best out of everybody. And he is the most connected man that I know when it comes to hockey. He, anytime I ever saw him walk in NHL Network, he has his earbuds in and he's talking to a commissioner or he's talking to a general manager or he's talking to a coach or a trainer. Or something. He's always on the phone, working the phones, 
and he's always told me it's always it, it's always about the people. It's we're in a people business, and, and those those relationships are what make him so um, dialed in, but yet so informed. I mean, the guys yeah. <laughs> you've seen the trend over the last couple of months. He's he's one of the top insiders now in the games, breaking news, and and he's changed that game as well with all of the different locations that he's he's breaking news from. So yeah, he's a uh, he is. Um, you know, one of the best that I've seen, one of the best I've ever worked with, and it's it's always a pleasure when I see him on the schedule next to my name. I agree, and it's so easy to see while you're when you're watching a broadcast. Okay, just give us your thoughts on what you saw last night. Uh, we've talked about even you know, for me personally, when the Lightning were down two two one in the series, I still felt like. I, it, it seemed weird to say the Lightning were down in the series because of the amount of chances that they had, and, and I thought last night we would definitely see that sort that sort of separation that I anticipated. But I think that they found something late in Game Three. They exploited it in Game Four, and I don't know if this has seven written all over it, but I just think the the gap between these two teams are going to continue to get bigger, especially down the middle if the Rangers continue to have the issues with, with Strom and Hedl. Yeah, no, I, I think you're spot on with that. Uh, in game four, you know, once the um, once that Pat Maroon goal went in and they were up one nothing, you kind of felt like, wow, this game, not that it was over, but it, it never felt in doubt at any point. And that was a one-goal game, I'd say halfway through, you know, the second period, but there was never any high danger or dynamic chances for the Rangers that you felt like, oh, wow, they're going to get right back in this. It was just a very complete, in-control, um, structured type of game that we're used to seeing from the Lightning, you know, this time of year, the past couple of seasons. So I think, you know, we talked a lot coming into this series, whether or not the rest was going to help the Bolts or whether or not the momentum was going to help the Rangers, the two days off versus the nine days off. And I think big picture we talked well, maybe it benefits New York to start this series, but I think the tides may turn, you know, towards game three, four, because the Rangers have played back-to-back seven-game series. They're a youthful group. And on the flip side, you have this veteran-laden group for Tampa, and they have had that rest. So I think we're starting to see that a little bit. I think this Rangers team, their depth is being tested right now. Um, a lot of these guys haven't been in this scenario. A lot of these guys haven't played this much hockey ever in their lives. I mean, Last night was game 100 for the New York Rangers this season. So I think we're just starting to see the uh, the momentum shift, obviously, but just the experience this time of year. And um, and certainly, you know, Tampa has been that team the last two years, and I think we're starting to see that team again in this series. It's pretty similar to what we saw in round one against Toronto. Those first two games, you were like, who, who are these Tampa Bay Lightning? This does not look like that team. Vasilevsky wasn't as sharp as he usually was. Uh, the Kucherovs weren't taking over a game. That depth really wasn't quite there. And, and now kind of all the parts are, are coming back together again, where Vasilevsky looks like the top goaltender in the world. Uh, Kucherov has absolutely taken over along with Stamkos. And, you know, the depth is, is there again, whereas Maroon, you know, he scores last night, and that third line uh, has done a great job, at least on home ice, of shutting down the top line. The, um, this has been a deadline for the New York Rangers. So. And Jamison, there's there's always such an emphasis on the offensive end of the end of the ice, but I think you know for me, you know what Tampa does really good is does not allow you any prolonged. Uh, time in the, their offensive, their off, or their defensive zone. They, their defensemen do a great job of controlling the puck, getting it up to a forward, and getting it out of the zone. You have very little opportunity in their end to create something before they take over, and they are often running in transition. 
Yeah, yeah. Usually it's one and done, right, in their own end. And I, I think that was the biggest change that we saw in games one and two versus three and four was, you know, Tampa was a little bit sloppy uh, in their own end with some of those breakout passes or some of those, you know, little bump passes from the defenseman to the centerman curling and trying to trying to get out of the zone cleanly. And, and that led to a lot of sustained zone time for the New York Rangers and a lot of, you know, multiple chances and, and a lot of pressure there. And I think that's a big reason why, you know, Tampa – cleaned it up. John Cooper was saying the first two games, look, it's it, it, kind of like a high school relationship. It's not you, it's me when they're breaking up. Like, it wasn't about what the Rangers were doing, it was about what Tampa wasn't doing. And they weren't managing the puck, and they weren't um, executing as sharply as we've seen them. And, and that, you know, like, towards the end of game number two, we saw signs of life, and of course, you know, that big goal in game number three, and all of a sudden that has spilled over to this team is sharp, and it looks like they're firing on all cylinders just like that. Yeah, we're talking to Jamison Coyle, who does a unbelievably great job um, as, as a host on the NHL Network. Always glad to have him on. And going back to that Western Conference final, uh, Jamison, one issue that I had, and tell me your thoughts on this, and when we talk about depth, did you feel like Jay Woodcroft was trying to match Colorado's depth by splitting up McDavid and Drysaddle to at least give you know have the have their top six have a chance against Colorado's top six and I don't know if it worked or it didn't work but I do know that the numbers bear out that that is not a good formula for Edmonton uh, when those guys are separated. Yeah, I think you just saw the depth of those two teams, and I don't know if it, I don't know if Woodcroft was trying to get you know McDavid and Drysaddle away from that top line. It was more about the top pairing. The Kale McCarr and Devon Taves, those guys did an unbelievable job of shutting down McDavid and Drysaddle when they could. So I think Woodcroft was doing his best to, one, try to keep those guys together, but then when they were kind of neutralized to the best of their abilities, he, he tried his best to try to split them up. And he certainly rode his horses. I mean, the, the McDavid time on ice and the Drysaddle time on ice as that series went along was just incredible. And we always say, hey, go with the guys that got you to the dance and then ride them to the end, you know? And, and he did. And in the end, it just wasn't enough. I mean, the blueprint for what Colorado did to, to take time and space away from the best player on planet Earth and the fastest guy we've ever seen on skates was just, I mean, they executed that game plan to a T. And I think Leon Dreisaitl, you know, to his credit, what he was playing through, and we still don't, officially know the extent of it but i've never i've never really seen a hockey player limp on the ice and that's what we saw from dry saddle you know towards the end of game three and certainly a lot of game four it's just a gutsy gutsy performance and you know a lot of guys are obviously banged up this time of year but he was he was dealing with something uh pretty pretty severe it certainly looked like so i think that hampered the the ability for woodcroft to put Dreisaitl and McDavid together and have them as effective as we've seen them, you know, previously in the regular season as well as certain times in this playoffs. Do we not give Colorado and their organization enough credit? And I mean that from the standpoint of Jared Bednar taking over a, a really bad situation from Patrick Waugh in 16. And of course, this, you know, in the NHL today, we've seen coaches that have had plenty of success that just gets to a point where the organization 
you know, whether it's in Boston where, you know, maybe Neely is trying to save his job a little bit by floating it out there a couple of weeks ago that uh, they were going to make a change at the top, which they ultimately did. I mean, I think Colorado has to be given a lot of credit, not only for what Bednar was able to achieve with, with very little to begin with, and also the organization staying with him uh, throughout that process, which might not have happened in 2022. No, you're right. And, and I mean, it wasn't that long ago that they had a 48-point regular season, like historically one of the worst we've ever seen. And, you know, to Bednard's credit, he got hired in August yes, of that year. So you talk about, like, thrown right to the fire. He had just won the um, the, uh, the Calder Trophy, I believe, in the uh, AHL with the Erie Monsters, and then, you know, jumps right into the National Hockey League behind the bench and takes over this team. And it was just a horrific season. And by all accounts, you know, when you, you hire a, a first-time head coach in the National Hockey League, he gets at least a couple of years. And there was there was some chatter about how bad that season was, that yes. they might not stick with him. And, you know, I think Joe Sackick has, has shown uh, patience and trust, not only in his coach, but his goaltenders. I mean, you remember the chatter at this year's trade deadline. It was Colorado. they got to get Marc-Andre Fleury. They have to get him. And, you know, he was like, no, we're good. We're good with Philip Grubauer. And, or not, excuse me, not Grubauer, but uh, Darcy Kemper and uh, Pavel Frinsos. And, you know, that's proven uh, to pay off for him as well. So, look, they had the core in place back in that horrible season. But I think Sackick's done a great job of kind of just adding pieces and depth to this team um, that really – takes this team to the next level. In years past, it was adding a guy like Nazem Kadri or Andre Burakovsky. And, and this year, we see the Josh Manson edition, uh, as well as the Arturi Lekkonen edition. It's just those subtle pieces that this time of year, it's those type of players yep. that take you to the next step and get you eventually over that hump. Well, Jamison, we always appreciate your insights. You're always fire on the on the radio, and uh, we'll definitely lean on you as, as we move into next season. But thank you for your time. Continue to, continue to kill it on the NHL Network. Hey, I appreciate it. Always a pleasure, and the best to you guys as well. There he goes, Jamison Coyle. We appreciate his time. Also, Mark Lawrence from PlaybookSports.com and a terrific interview with Tim Peel. We thank him for his time. Thank you for joining us. For Chris the Moose Johnson, I'm Dana Lane. We will be back tomorrow at 10 a.m. Have a great night. Second period. Where players dance with skates of flash. The home team trails behind. But they grab the puck and go bursting up. And they're down across the line. They storm the trees like bumblebees. They travel like a burning flame. We see them slide the puck inside. It's a 1-1 hockey game. Oh, the good old hockey game. The best game you can name, and the best game you can name is the good old hockey game. Take me where hockey players face off down the rink, and the Stanley Cup is all filled up for the champs who win the drink. Now the final flick of the hockey stick and the one gigantic scream. The puck is in, the Canadians win the good old hockey game. Is the best game you can name, and the best game you can name is the good old hockey game. Oh, the good old hockey game is the best game you can name, and the best game you can name is the good old hockey game. Oh, the good old hockey game is the best game you can name, and the best game you can name 
as the good old 